Good evening, everyone, and thanks for the Startup School. Thanks, Cleo, for working with me on all the details. And uh, I think the, the idea is awesome. I've attended a few sessions myself. It's really great getting uh, guest speakers where you guys get different perspectives on different topics. And can you hear me okay at the end? Okay, perfect. So the topic today, leveraging outsourcing practices. So we're going to talk about outsourcing in general. And the fact this is a startup school, we're going to talk about how small businesses can leverage outsourcing. Yes. Remember you said it's on? Oh, the microphone is for the recording. Oh, it's not actually a microphone. Interesting. So you can hear me okay. You can hear me okay. So the mic is not on. I'll speak louder if you guys need me to. Let me know, but hopefully you could still hear me. All right, so a little bit about me. So in the fact of startup and small company, I am a small company myself. A global PMO solution is my practice. And it's a company where it's about project programs and portfolio. I actually have a training arm as well as consult in building project management offices, portfolio management. I have my model similar to any consulting firm that when I get an engagement, we go through it as model. A little bit about me and my background. Thanks to Ryerson for inviting me to speak at this event. I actually taught at Ryerson a few years ago and I teach at U of T. So my background, bunch of list of uh, credentials there for you guys, but I have been involved in outsourcing. I've managed IT for probably 15 years. And then I was a head of the project management office in consulting firm, Fortune 100, as well as smaller companies. I've authored two books about my area of expertise, which is a project management office. One of them, funny enough, it is outsourcing the project management functions, which is, again, dovetails with, with outsourcing. And I'll shed some light uh, about that. There are papers that I have written in that topic. You can. Google my name or you could go to Project Management Journal and Google all my articles and uh, publications there. The outline for tonight, so we're going to get lay of the land. What's outsourcing and what do we mean by outsourcing? Benefits and with every benefits come challenges. So what are the challenges that comes with outsourcing? The different models that are out there for outsourcing what is being outsourced, i.e., what was outsourced in the past? Outsourcing, although it had the hype of it, but outsourcing has been going on for quite some time. And also how we could leverage outsourcing. So how many of you worked in a company where it was outsourced or they bought a company? Anybody? Okay, two of you. How many of you were actually either downsized or being affected by outsourcing? It's got to be the two of you. Though. <laughs> All right. So you probably can uh, chime in. So for the rest of you, you have not been part of outsourcing or a company that outsourced services. So let's go together. Q&A, while it's at the end, I prefer at the end, but feel free, guys, if you have any questions. Uh, if the question will take longer, I'll add it to the parking lot. We'll keep it at the end, but just feel free and uh, chime in. So outsourcing definitions. I'll pause and let you, I don't want to read definitions for you, but I want to set stage of what outsourcing is all about. 
There is a difference between the two definitions. The first one, we're talking about defining outsourcing as services previously produced internally within the sourcing organization. So it's a key. When you say outsourcing, that means you're giving away service that previously you have been doing as a company. The other piece is outsourcing describes a company where you're providing other firms to do the work and that they can do the work more efficiently. And then you're probably pausing and saying, well, if they're doing it more efficiently, why you're in the business? We'll see later on what does that mean. And usually the key for outsourcing is lower costs and getting more capabilities. Outsourcing as well, so again, there is contracting. We hear the term contracting, which is contracting existing businesses to independent organizations, and that would be purchasing the services now. Outsourcing may involve transfer of employee to the outsourced business. So when a company outsource, sometimes they outsource the services, they outsource the work, as well as part of it would be outsourcing their employees as well generally included so how many of you heard the term onshore and offshore outsourcing yeah so all right and you guys probably know already the difference but we're going to step through the options and what's out there in the market today so the history of outsourcing it's not net new it existed but around the year 2000 or early in the 20th century there was a huge hype of outsourcing in actually, was it 2000? No, prior to even 2000, in uh, probably mid-90s, I was involved in a large outsourcing, which was due to the prep of year 2000. If you go, guys, how many of you when were part of Y2K? All right, I got a show of hands. So you guys know what is it all about. For those of you who are in part of Y2K, Remember all those programs that they needed to be converted for, if it's two-digit dates, to four digits. And outsourcing grew since then. So it hasn't been uh, new. It has been out there, but it got more involved for many, many reasons that we're going to go through right now. So these are the top reasons for outsourcing. You could see what is the number one, actually, or tie in the number one. Reduce costs as well as focus on core services or what they call it, core activities, core tasks for the company. Those were the two main drivers. Now, as outsourcing also having different shapes and forms and as more things being outsourced, the, some organizations are finding more value as well. So it's not about only reducing cost, it's actually fostering innovation, getting different types of resources, getting diversity of skilled resources, improving the quality, and also multitasking. So while they could focus on core, they could actually build other channels for their businesses. So we'll step through the details. So we talked about cost saving and cost reduction as one of the primary. We will see economic conditions with how does that benefit, outsourcing benefits, and then resource utilizations and urgent situations. So let's see, cost reduction and cost saving. Think of a company or if you're a part of a startup and they're looking to sort of maximize the benefit, minimize the value and the expenses. And there are countries where they offer tax-free, 
there are actually some places in the world where it's, they call them free zones, and they will offer some small businesses tax relief, or actually they'll give them some sort of cut. So that will entice some business people to say, you know what, I'm paying a lot of taxes and premium here. Probably I will go since I'm starting this business and get a break. Production and manufacturing is another thing where you probably might be paying somebody $12 an hour, you'll be paying somebody $4 an hour. I'm making these numbers up, but kind of that's the comparison. Labor, the same thing. Whether production and manufacturing or getting headcounts, labor will be cheaper. Energy consumption, so probably it's an area where they provide other perks in terms of saving energy, uh, less on fuel, and so forth. The other piece is outsourcing benefits, economic conditions where it influenced the need to outsource. So focusing on core skills and loading off non-core services. So any example of, of you worked in a company where you would consider what you're working on a core service? So in IT, for example, I was in a company where it's a product development and they produce website apps to companies. What they considered as core service was their architecture and design and their back end. And anything else could be outsourced. And we ended up sourcing development, outsourcing development and outsourcing the quality assurance. The reason being that company deemed it as non-core activity. Core was I need to hold the product I need to understand the architecture, and that's what I care about, and anything else can be outsourced. Their reasons at the time was tapping into more skill set. We wanted it faster and cheaper, and it was accomplished through that. Import and export regulations. So that also can be a driver to outsourcing, where some companies actually there might be treaties between different countries on import and export, similar to when we talked about taxes, getting a tax relief. That will be some import and export regulations uh, entice some owners of companies to outsource. Raw material availability. Again, you're probably in an area where sourcing their material is a lot cheaper. It would make sense to probably stay uh, there or probably outsource some of those functionalities where you get the raw material from that uh, company. Improving resource utilization. So it's the number one issue in all organizations. And with IT and project management and having ran IT shops and project management offices, it always comes down to how can we best utilize resources. In every company, there are peaks and valleys to the work. They can deal with the peaks by hiring a lot of people. And traditionally, when you hire full-time, you can't just, when you get the valleys, you can't just say, oh, okay, well, you're sitting without work, we're gonna let go of people. So contracting, the concept of contracting, subcontracting, outsourcing came about where organization can benefit from utilizing skill sets during their peak time. And it also improves employees' retention. You might be asking, well, how could losing a job improve employees' retention? For those that they're keeping in-house, it will improve the fact they're focused on core skills and their role will improve recognition and reward and career development for these guys. Because then they are, when you're part of a core, that means you're part of services that they can't let go. It's that important to the company so you will progress. 
when you're part of non-core, that would be the services that they outsource. Although we will see in later slides, even core services nowadays can be outsourced. Also, having skill set that you can't find locally. So there are times where in the year, in the early 2000, or actually before that, when we were looking to specific type of engineers, software engineers with certain skill set. And for probably every one in North America, they had five in Asia. So it made sense in terms of the numbers where all the clients were going into that technology or companies, you had more access to skill sets outside than having access even onshore. And then utilizing specialists, best of breed. So there are times where you utilize the strength of your staff onshore and you leverage the strength of the staff that are in the offshore. Also on outsourcing benefits. Import and export, we've seen it in a previous slide, but again, in terms of regulations, when it eases people, it opens up a lot of avenues for companies and company owners to actually outsource skilled labor and starting startup incentives like the free zones that I talked about or for some companies if you're starting up you will get breaks we have that actually where some companies uh, as a starting up or um, depending on if it's minority you get tax reliefs and so forth urgency um, or emergency situations like year 2000 year 2000 if you knew anything about IT we wanted you Around that time, we were hiring left, right, and center, I remember. We needed from analysts to people who knew how to process data to people how to code and program. So sometimes the number wasn't there, and that was a driver to even get people from outside, whether you contract them or you actually reached out to other countries and got resources. Disaster recovery. How many of you know what that is? Okay. Not the show of hands, that means you don't know, I take it. So disaster recovery, basically, companies, when they do their data, is valuable. All the data, think of probably the Googles of the world, the IBM of the world. These guys, when they process the data, they have a lot of data that they're afraid to lose. So they'll have disaster recovery. They'll back up the data, but there are levels of backing up the data. They'll back up the data in-house, and that will have a retention to how long they keep it and they back the data also somewhere in off-sites and sometimes offshore. Disaster recovery is, by the name, is in case of a disaster, if something happens by either act of God or think of the banks, if electricity is down for whatever reason and we have outage and they didn't have backup systems for two, three days, we wouldn't be able to cash money from the ATM. You wouldn't be able to do anything. So disaster recovery, what would be the worst case scenario that could happen and how you could recover so that your client is not impacted and more so your business is not impacted. So we talked about benefits, enough about benefits. With every benefit comes challenges. So what are the challenges with outsourcing? So challenges are on different dimensions, the business and labor. What's the business challenge? Complex management processes, investment in technology, cultural differences, and information security. So for those of you, raise your hand. Don't want to put you on the spot, but if you feel like sharing, please do. If not, I'll cover it. 
what was some of the, do these sound like some of the challenges that you guys had when you were part of outsourcing, you were impacted by outsourcing? What were you would say the most of these that you, for, for your company was? Complex management processes. What about for you? Quality. quality. I was just going to, we're, we're going to see definitely quality. For us, it was information security. And that was just absolutely nightmare. Even in my research, when I've done sort of like extensive research in terms of what are the key factors, IP that, or information security kept popping and intellectual property as well. In terms of how we view things, what is privacy, what's confidential, and how the other part of the world, depending on who you're engaging, views it. But spot on, guys. Thanks for sharing. Labor. So the, well, think of it. Think of yourself as business owners, even if it's a small business. You're starting up. You really want to maximize the value, minimize the benefit. Uh, so you want to hire, you want something cheaper. Think of large companies. So while large companies in the past two slides were talking about how great it is for them, but for individuals, it does have job losses. And when we outsourced in that company that I was with, yes, it meant departments, complete departments were downsized. People lost their jobs. But also some people gained higher positions as part of probably their job role. So if somebody was, someone was a developer and now they are overseeing a bunch of developers somewhere in that part of the world. They immediately got a lift and boost in the title, in the pay, and in terms of their roles and responsibilities. So there came some downsizing, but there came some also advantages. Now we will talk about handling job losses. Again, how outsourcing, although there are challenges, how organization can do it, obviously large organization, gracefully smaller organizations they probably won't be hiring crazy like large organizations how they could leverage the concept to to their benefit also some of the challenges environmental and government so let's see on the government side so we talked about how important a business owner to get a tax relief but then in the same token the government is losing on tax revenue for those businesses and also increased cost of social services you get all these guys from previous slide, losing their jobs, lining up to get benefits. And then education and retraining. So you have to have programs to retrain people on new skills of new way of doing things. And then regional competition. Of course, you open the door to a competition. So whatever you were selling probably was the greatest. And now you get somebody competing with you. In a way, it's healthy because you either increase the bar on your services as an organization, then you can compete with other companies, but also it stresses out the owners as well. Environmental, what sort of regulations out there, even in the outsourcer company? So some people early on, and I'll talk and I'll share why some outsourcing even failed. So it's not always snazzy and, and great. Yes, it works when it's done right, but as the challenges has, it probably it doesn't work for some companies. And some companies outsourced, and then they ended up changing their mind. Whatever they sent offshore, they brought it back onshore because it didn't work for them. Population density, concentration, and what's not there, even technology. 
There are times where things were outsourced, thinking, you know, okay, we're, we're speaking same language technology to find out, well, they're probably not as ahead in terms of, of technology or what they use is different types of platforms and uh, there was an issue. So that is on the negative side. From a process perspective, in some organizations, when we outsourced actually, we were in that company as advanced as it was in terms of our process standardization, we were less than our outsourcing company that we outsourced to. And that was a challenge because then we had to come up to standard in terms of our processes before handing it to them or before actually um, matching them. They were ahead of us, so we almost had to play catch-up game to their level so that they could manage it. So why outsourcing fail? Like before I even show the slides, from just for those of you who've been through it, thanks again if you could share, but for those of you just from hearing pros, cons, benefits, why do you think it failed in some companies? Yes? That's, that's correct, and I think you mentioned quality over here. Absolutely, quality. How do you remedy that? So that's... You insource it. <laughs> Good one. Yes, you do insource it, or you actually build quality as part of your success criteria when you're, when you're outsourcing. If you're just, which is, which is perfect, because if you're just dumping some processes and deal with it because it's cheaper. Yeah, yeah, you could, I'm, instead of paying $100 an hour, now I'm paying you $30 an hour. Well, a lot of $30 an hour with poor quality is gonna sway your client. So yeah, absolutely. Any, anything else that you think probably makes outsourcing fail? Yes, definitely. So from the top, Top of the house, quality, security, you guys spot on. Lack of leadership and misconception and unrealistic expectations of success. So just dumping it and hoping that the fact they're cheaper, they'll pick it up and go with it. Leadership when they outsource, actually during the early stages of outsourcing when companies just jumped on the bandwagon for the heck of it, as anything else. Every now and then there is a new craze and there is something that goes on and just people jump on it without having the thought through or the strategy of why we're doing what we're doing. So the lack of leadership and not setting the right expectation and what I just said, the success criteria, even quality. You could demand certain quality, you could have service level agreements, proper SLAs, having all that gives you the checks and balances and the preventions from failure. Not doing that, you're definitely taking chances. Poor outsourcing strategy and poor implementation. So if they really don't know why they're outsourcing or they're outsourcing because just the next door guy outsourced or their competition outsourced, I've seen it in a different dimension where in some organizations they went to benchmark the organization to certain process standards without throwing acronyms at you guys. Company next door wanted to do the exact same thing. These guys knew why they wanted to benchmark because that's what they were selling and their competition. The guys who just jumped on it not knowing why they ended up actually paying money and failing for doing that. So even if you have a healthy strategy and you implement it well, to me the follow through as well, outsourcing operation, if your outsourcing operation is not also monitored and controlled well, you risk failure. 
So there are different, different stages. It's not a one-time exercise. Yes, you plan it well, but you don't implement it well. You plan it well, you implement it well, but you don't run it well on day-to-day -day basis, it will definitely fail. So outsourcing challenges in virtual teams. How many of you have been on conference calls with people that you probably haven't seen throughout the time you've been? Yes. I've been actually, I've, I've worked in companies where actually my, I saw my boss twice a year around my performance review. And it was not because we were outsourced, but we were, we were actually global in nature. And you reported to somebody who resided in a different country. And it, again, two types to it. For those who are self-starters and independent, works beautifully. For those who need to see their boss for every single thing, it wouldn't work. So again, with every pros, there is cons to it, depending on the company and the individual. But virtual teams in particular can, can be a challenge. So when you outsource and you're on the phone constantly with people from different countries, the obvious is the multiple languages and culture. Even when we speak English, everybody has their own sense of English, not even the accent, not even the dialect. What we mean in terms of use, short lines, even jokes, that could matter across cultures. Work styles and attitudes, and also interacting with superiors, subordinate, and stakeholders. When we outsource, basically, North America, we value collaboration. And depending on what companies you work with, mainly your bosses, there isn't the structure and hierarchy that you have to run to your boss everywhere. It's more collegial and more interactive. We found in other culture, it's very much siloed and it's very much structured. So for your team member to reach out to the team member, it's a no-no because you have to go through the boss and they have to go through the entire ladder, which was a big learning curve for these guys. Tell them, we don't operate that way. You're actually going to slow us down. That team member can talk to that team member without having to go through the boss and boss doesn't need to stamp it if that's the same level. So again, those are some of the challenges you have in a virtual team setting. Communication and sharing information, again, and uh, where we outsourced, documents were on shared drives or actually on SharePoint, where once it's out there for the team to use, anybody can use it. In their part of the world, only the boss can release it, and very few people can see it. So you go through a lot of cultural hurdles in terms of how they view it, how we view it. Actually, it came down to one in one meeting. We were saying, are you able to deliver that on such and such date? And we heard yeses. We said, great. So nobody checked on such and such date. Nothing was delivered. So you guys said yes. Well, we were polite. We're not supposed to say no. I'm like, no, you tell us no when you cannot deliver. We were polite to say, yes, we deliver. What they meant is they're delivering internally for their team lead to check it before they give it to the team lead who's a peer of our team lead. I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. We have to restructure. Time zones. So while time zones can be disadvantage, actually, where we outsource the company I was at, it worked to our advantage. We had literally 24 hours development. It's not like we ditched all the developers onshore, but what we had, we had developer leaders and we had people who are doing quality assurance when we received the code. So while we go to sleep, 
they were working and coding. While they went to sleep, we were checking the code. So actually, it worked to our advantage. Where it was tough, where it was meeting time. So there, our 10 a.m. when it was convenient is their 10 p.m. But again, how I remedied that, again, to every kind of disadvantage, there is an advantage is they can't be all the time at 10 p.m. and our team at 10 a.m. So we switched it. One week, we take the 10 a.m. and they take the 10 p.m. And next week, it's the other way around. Holidays work, again, sense of time, uh, how people adhere to time where, you know, we have people working from home uh, there. They weren't allowed to work from home. But again, those are the type of things you, you deal with. But when you're aware of it and you've gone through it, or if you want to outsource, there is enough material. And I have for you guys at the end um, a list of references and websites to go through. So it's all about educating oneself and you're being armed. If you're really the one running the outsourcing initiative, you need to know, you need to figure out how people outsourced it. So there is the one running with the outsourcing initiative, but there is the leadership who sets the tone of why we're outsourcing and what is it we need to do with outsourcing and what are the benefits. If that's clear, you have a game plan, you've got a roadmap, you have strategy, then you need to be clear on implementation again and follow through. And again, leadership, teamwork, so, uh, social styles, I think I probably mentioned that, regulatory, environmental standards, and, and all that good stuff. Any questions so far? All right. So implementing best practices. So we talked about what's good, what's bad, what's ugly, how you could mediate some of that. So let's talk about best practices, which is focused around four areas. Stakeholder management, how you manage your audience. Your organization change management, how you take people through change. Procurement and managing risks, which is if you think about it, outsourcing or not, even if you're doing projects or if you're doing work over here, isn't it about managing your audience? Isn't it about figuring out if you're changing or adding change, how you're gonna carry people through it? And managing risks, always there. In outsourcing, procurement take precedence because it's all about the manpower and the handoffs and what you do with procurement. So stakeholder management. How many of you worked for organizations that probably week two and you haven't given an org chart or you don't know the lines? Okay, no show of hands, so you all, your orientation was great. Wherever you worked, you were handed charts of who's who, who reports to who, and so forth. Then that's, that's a great audience. I've had totally different experience with other audience. Defining communication plans. So, so the short of it, whether it's outsourcing or not, knowing the parties that you're working with, knowing who you escalate to, on onshore or offshore, your teams within the same country, and your teams in the other part of the world, knowing who they can go to when issues happen, documented roles and responsibilities, so there are no, uh, you're doing this and I'm doing that type of work. Define communication plan that includes meetings, scheduled attendees, and so forth. So we know who's communicating when, what sort of communication coming out, uh, when you, if you're outsourcing um, uh, IT, and you finished coding and you're about who should be sending that communication piece 
and who comments on it, what sort of meetings takes place onshore or offshore or together as teams. Planning and executing awareness sessions for all employees. So again, if you are to outsource and you're bringing, you're outsourcing the jobs of people, they need to know and they don't need to know only when you're just giving them the pink slip to say, well, thank you for your services. It's been a pleasure having you for the past 10 years and now you're out of the door. So there are better protocol in terms of how you manage stakeholders. And again, some companies, I'm going through best practices, what should be, which means not everybody does it that way, but if they do it that way, that's the right way to do it. Change management. So HR focused on the displaced employees. So those are all those employees that they're going to be let go and getting packaged. How are they? They're not going to just leave them out on the street the next day. How, what is the company doing and how are they handling that? What sort of transition period? What sort of pension or training they're giving these guys? Uh, or probably giving them the opportunity to look for another role within the organization or modifying their current role so that they stay within the organization, i.e. when they outsource salvaging as much as an organization can based on what they deem, again, remember, core business value and what are the employees that fit in that dimension. Management sessions with the department. You really do want to get just an email of announcement with name in it letting go. I know in some companies they just grab those who are being let go into a room and then they just walk all of them out. That doesn't reflect well, especially if it's not a performance based. Uh, some organizations do it very well, where the management would say during, due to outsourcing, there will be some downsizing. They announce who, at what department, at a point in time, they'll meet with those people one-on-one -on -one that they're impacted throughout the process till the day they're letting go. I had some people on, on staff that they knew they were being let go and they stayed from the time of the announcement three months after training and actually shadow, having the new people shadow them and being shadowed and they were paid for it, they were compensated for it. Some of them stayed with different roles and some of them as they were let go, they were figured, we figured out the pension job training and so forth for them. And okay, uh, review, update, creation of documentation. So again, when we talked about quality and many of you mentioned quality. So without having proper documentation that describes existing processes, structure, that how else would they know? Just throwing something across the, uh, the, the wall and thinking that your outsourcing partner is going to pick it up will not happen. So that is important to, to have as well. Procurement. And procurement is important because it's all about getting those people in, reviewing the contracts and the legal documents for staff. So when, you when you're contracting or when you're outsourcing, the procurement plan in terms of who is staying, who is leaving, how is that going to impact your business, forecasting as well not enough to say that's my current headcount okay i went and i outsourced and I've, i let go of 100 people well it doesn't mean you're not going to need people on shore you're not going to leave the company skeleton 
but having a plan in place in terms of what are my needs now, what are my needs next year, do I need to ramp up resources onshore or do I need to continue ramping up offshore, that would be a call where having a sound procurement management will help. Including requirements and expectations as well, resulting from the stakeholder analysis and also from change management, figuring out who's being impacted and that rolls up into the contract. Establishing schedule for review and updates of the contract. So it's not a one-time, one-sided exercise. It needs to be reviewed because life is dynamic. You, off, you, you actually outsourced certain functions. Some functions came back with a lot of organizations. They went, as I said, when it's a craze, they went crazy and outsourced it all. And some of them went back and brought it all back. And then it's almost they are fielding their way. And right now, actually, we have sort of, I would say, a healthy industry where not everything outsourced because there isn't like, there is still obvious benefit in having in-source or having it onshore. And that's why we'll see some of the, the terms that we will have onshore and nearshore because they're figuring out not everything can be outsourced. They knew what is the bare minimal that needs to go out and what is it that needs to come back in-house. In Managing common risks. With everything, you need to figure out what are the risks that could happen. Unqualified vendors, so we talked about quality. So when you offshore, often there are companies that establish reputations in that far part of the world to say, you know, these are reliable companies. But there are companies where they go venture in probably smaller unknown companies where probably the vendor is unqualified. So back to quality, quality definitely going to suffer. How you remedy that, how you mitigate that risk? By documenting roles and responsibilities, having demand in terms of what are the success criteria. If, it's, if you're gonna offshore to someone that nobody has tried, well, you're taking a huge risk. So you'd better actually have more documents and more legal sort of items in, in your contract than probably the big known companies that bunch of people or a bunch of companies have outsourced before you. Protecting your intellectual property. And we talked about security and many of you brought it up. So making sure that their practices are sound. So we know not everybody is uh, cognizant about copyrights or password protections in some part of the world, actually, the same developers used to use the same password, so you wouldn't know who's logging in, who's doing what. So there are things that can be put in place where you could have legal license resources. Uh, you train them. You basically have uh, legal ramifications if these things happen and, and occurred, where you could guarantee that your intellectual property and confidentiality and data security or information security in general is protected. Incomplete training, again, having um, throwing it over the wall and just um, I'll, I'll have an, an example for you at the end of the slide where you guys can go through it and see how that company outsourced. So that would be your, your tiny homework reflecting on all these presentations of what worked and what didn't work. So incomplete training, of course, defined training plan and it's not a one-time exercise as things, the, the turnaround, especially in technology where when that hype started, it started in technology, is huge. 
So having constantly people trained and being trained and ingrained of how this part of the world or that company in North America does business and what they need to do when, when they outsource it and offshore it. So outsourcing model. I think I, I spoke to these already, but we'll go quickly through these. So you hear of offshoring, nearshoring, onshoring. So all these, so offshoring basically sending it to further part of the world, Asia, somewhere in Asia. Nearshoring tends to be, for us in North America, South America is considered nearshoring. And of course, onshoring is bringing it back onshore. And there is a right or wrong, as I said, where the industry right now, a lot of companies actually have a combination of all that, and it's healthy. It's almost like, think of it when you invest. You, you, you put your investment in different portfolios. You don't put it all in one portfolio. Same thing. If a company, once they figured out where would be the max benefit to offshore, where is the max benefit to keep it near shore, and what to bring onshore. Onshore tends to be on the marginal process improvement. So not a huge job or things that wouldn't take a lot of time or a lot of resources. A lot of time, longer projects, a lot of resources, where it's more of mainly manpower. Still some companies, large companies, certainly default to uh, nearshoring or offshoring. And there is a term that we call transformational outsourcing. Some companies go through that where it's focused on performance improvement for the company. So in transformational outsourcing, they may bring back the services, but they go through huge transformation because they can't get the performance of their organization to improve other than probably, it's almost, your, it's almost selling your assets, sending your asset somewhere cheaper to get a return on assets. And also we hear the term contracting and subcontracting. Probably many of you, probably we always hear the subcontracting um, along the lines of, of constructions. How many of you have done home renovations? No? Okay, thank you guys for raising your hands, Like, All right, the rest of you, if you haven't gone through home renovation, for those who have gone through it, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's never on time, <laughs> it's never on budget. And basically what happened, the guy you contracted, he basically has other people that he subcontracted to. To you as a client, to me, it's only his face. He's responsible for everything. But he probably subcontracted these guys because he was doing some other two, three jobs and he figured he can get them cheaper to do other jobs. So there are pros and cons in contracting and in subcontracting. In contracting, information technology and finance were probably one of the biggest two where contracts took place or contracting takes place. Let's take a look at some of the pros and cons to subcontracting. So some of the pros, you free up the time, you enable the owner to do more business, right? Talk about while the owner can become more of a business development looking for more clients, they're subcontracting the smaller jobs to someone else. Well, that's great for them. Less expensive because they could give these guys less money, quote me something and give them a lot less and still make good margin on it. And also provide them additional manpower. So peak time and demand, they could throw these guys and they could do the work. They're specialized, while probably the general contractor has one specific specification. He can bring in others that they could do more, or their skill set 
more specific. Now, the cons of it is loss of confidentiality, and a lot of time is depletion of skills, full-time resources. So what happened in, in my home improvement contract case, the contractor was great, actually. He did a great job. But the people who hired, actually, he ended up firing. The result is, yes, extended time, but he did actually better job. They weren't working the hours he asked them to put in. They weren't putting the quality. So when he came in inspecting, he was running with multiple jobs. He had to redo the whole thing. So as an end user recipient to the service, I had to wait longer for that time. But at least I ensured the quality because he took over from the mess they had to do. Now, to his disadvantage, one, he's not going to use them. Two, he probably, I was, I was really upset, so he had to compensate me for that. He was nice because I used him before. So again, there are disadvantages, and that's, again, talking from a narrow perspective, subcontractor in construction. But if you take that to a larger extent, think of larger companies where you get big companies like IBM, CGI, where they will work with another company that has a specific niche in an area. Now, this is not sort of quick analogy to the contracting, subcontracting of uh, construction workers. But even with these companies, they bond them by certain service level agreement because to the company, when I'm the recipient of the service and I am one of the Fortune 100, it's IBM's face. I don't know, I don't care who's behind the scene. They are part of their team, so they'd better have the same expected quality as I would expect, for example, from IBM. So outsourcing and organization performance. What are the performance measures? So we talked about quality, and we're going to talk about performance. How do you ensure outsourcing performance, and why do we outsource? Because of two type of performance measures. Activity measure and an, an outcome measure. So in the activities, the focus in the activity measure is on incremental efforts. So think about it in terms of activities. If the company is measured on how much they process, an improvement to that process, if it takes them five days to do a piece of work and it costs them $100, it's going to take it, and it's, it's going to cost probably half of that with probably more process speed and more process power. So that's how they measure the activity. I'm getting the work done faster and cheaper, and it's improving. We measured in the company that we outsource. So, how many of you worked in IT? Okay. Quite a few hands. So in anything, there, there is a process from beginning to an end. So in IT, you start by taking requirements, which is simple. I'll tell me what you want at the end of the day. How do you want this product to look like, color features, yada, yada, yada. Then I take that and I, to my architects and designers. They design it. Then somebody codes it. Somebody tests it. And then you'll have probably early adopters say, can you run this beta and see if it works? So why am I describing this? process at length. Activity measure between one phase to the other is measured on how efficient in moving from one area to the other. And when you outsource and you start measuring, are we improving in that specific area? Do we have, if something breaks or slows down, 
as a company, can I identify where it broke down and can I br correct it and bring that to you know, efficiency? And with outsourcing, what they found, and especially when we talk about assets, return on your assets, where companies have human are assets. So when you have manufacturing and you have a lot of people in manufacturing, and you think about it, the price or what you pay in terms of process speed and in manufacturing would be a lot on it, for, it would be advantageous for that company in terms of the activity measure has proved to be better. In terms of outcome measure, so the outcome measure, just judging by you guys can tell, you're measuring the outcome. So if I delivered, how does it look at the end of the day? It's based on my goals and objectives. Is the product that being received, is the result what is being expected? So you're less focused on the task or the activity or how long it takes you to get there. It's still important because you need the coupling of both. Activity is how long it gets me there and the outcome. If I have to fix the product and first generation iPhone, oh, fix it, bugs, issues, then you're, one, you might lose clients to competition or you're probably not gonna get good reputation. So you measure the outcome, you measure the activities, those are the two key areas of measuring outsourcing. So what is being outsourced? In the early days, focusing, we talked about non-core, if you remember in the early slides, and cost saving were the two drivers. So non-essential activities were as such, and these weren't offshored, onshored. These, if you think about even till today, but even long time ago, cleaning, cleaning companies, if you look at all corporates in the financial district, even in school, after we leave, you get all the cleaning crews. Those are private companies. Cleaning always been outsourced. Catering is another area. Security, in the past, security guards were probably employees of the company, not anymore, or long time ago was not anymore. Security is basically outsourced. And hospitality is another area. So those were the early days. I talked a lot about IT because that's what started the huge hype. IT, especially IT, when you guys turn on your cell phones, when you go uh, click online and, and make an e-transfer, all these gadgets that you have manpower behind it to get requirements, to interact with customers, to test it, was outsourced. And so the first thing in terms of essential activities, so non-essential, what we view as non-essential, to essential. So IT was essential, like application development without re-describing it, that lengthy process that I described for development. Infrastructure maintenance, the same thing. I've been in companies where every department it was, it's a huge company, so every department has probably a few hundred employees. It's a company on its own. But every department had their applications, their hardware, their software to maintain. So think about it, you had to hire the same type of resources to take care of the hardware and maintain it in terms of, think of it, you're not, lap, I'm not talking laptops and PC, I'm talking about the big back-end machines. But what they have done, they've outsourced it it was near shore, actually it was, sorry, onshore, 
But it was a company that's basically that's what they do. That's their forte. So it, what it meant, it's less of multiple resources across departments and less of many set of standards and processes. And they gave it to a company that does that for a living. Business processing. Again, HR and benefit administration. So a lot of companies, especially for smaller companies, where they can't afford hiring and firing themselves, they leverage HR services and they leverage contracting and getting employees. Payroll is the same thing. If you can't afford having somebody on board, payroll would be one of the, there are companies that actually cut the payroll stops and prepare payrolls for the employees. Account management, payables and receivable. Last, general maintenance and support. So building maintenance and help desk support. So what is being outsourced now? So we talked about essential activities, even further essential activities that probably a few years ago, I didn't think they would be even outsourced. So let's take a look at knowledge processing. So some companies are actually outsourcing core processes. Their market research or marketing research. Their legal fraud analytics. And when I say outsourcing, doesn't mean they're sending it offshore. So it could be within the, within the country. So the benefit in terms of probably financial downside, it's not there, but you're really getting the best of breed. If you're a company that you, you, you run financials, but you really don't want to build a department to, and there are companies that actually run stats and they have the applications to handle fraud analytics, you want to default to that. Uh, project management. And I, I told you my, my, my thesis was about outsourcing, outsourcing project management functions. Large companies, they can invest in having project managers, analysts, all the layers. Smaller companies where it's not a core function, basically they will contract these guys, come and do the job, and then thank you because it's not a core, then they'll turn it to operation, it's business as usual for them. Education and also data integration. There are all those companies that do security, data integration, and not necessarily when we say outsourcing, so remember this is not offshoring. So as long as it's the company itself, they're figuring out that I could give that to someone else that they are expert in that domain and they could basically do that for me. So how do we leverage startup for outsourcing? So large companies, smaller companies, smaller companies are more nimble. So they could actually leverage outsourcing a lot better in terms of I, when I started my, my practice, there were a lot of things that I can't do with probably two, three people that part of the company can handle like other companies. Yes, I was doing the, the bids, the proposal writing, everything else, but I needed somebody in IT to do the website. I needed someone to help me in general administration. I needed someone to do some marketing and sales and, and social media stuff. So for all these, I can't be the jack of, of, of all trades. You need someone expert to do that. So strong governance, building partnership. It's not about over the wall, shoot the outsourcing stuff that I'm sending you, building partnership, i.e. they have vested interest, you have vested interest. You train them, they understand your company, you have defined roles and responsibilities, and you have documented processes. The less documentation and the less info, then you're leaving margins for guessing. And these guys are not like, 
when, when they outsourced, it wasn't about the other companies doing the company strategy. The company strategy, all the brain power always stays in-house. So it's more of, I would call it manpower to do the work and more intelligence and skill set to do the work. But they need to have documents and defined roles and responsibilities. Subject matter expertise availability as well. So scheduled versus supportive. Do you need somebody to just parachute in and support your team on small contract to do the work? Or you need to schedule them where, if you recall, I talked about companies have peaks and valleys where you could have these resources come in and have these resources not part of the organization when you don't need to. And you don't need to probably offshore that. You could just outsource it or you could get people within the country, within unsure, to do that job. Knowledge transfer. So there are two ways you'll sort of, you, you shadow when knowledge transfer rules is, you hand them documentation, they sit next to you while you're doing the work, and then they go run the job. So that's kind of the knowledge transfer. Support, and also supporting the services and training. And most important is the vendor shadowing the employee and the reverse shadowing. So while they're shadowing how I do the work, at a point in time, I'll step back, allow them to do the job, but I am shadowing to see are they doing according to what my expectations. Documentation inventory, talked about it, but it couldn't be more important. What is available, how you transfer it. Is it also readily available? Is it as simple as it's on shared drive, everyone can consume that, or it's, oh, you have to scramble for a document? How organized, how structured are you? Who creates what document, who has access to it, who's allowed is very important. Classifications, personal, confidential, we talked about the, the variances in a culture where it has to go through certain checks and balances in some part of the world versus, oh, if it's on a shared drive, and the following people have access to it, by default you could see it. That needs to be also clarified. Documentation sharing. You really don't have to be super duper uh, large company to benefit from that. There are all sorts of open source and freebie tools, and you guys probably know that already, to leverage in terms of document sharing, networking. Um, even when uh, it doesn't have to be conference call, there are a lot of free products that you could have FaceTime. We actually had sessions, almost like we're, we're standing here and, and having chat. It was via video conference where the people were interacting. They've never been on site with each other, but they were interacting and they had FaceTime where now they know even each other by name. And again, meeting collaboration. So, Leveraging outsourcing for startup, again, in what I call it my simple term. As even a startup when I started, you need someone to help you technology, your website, your structure, uh, setting up the network in your office, somebody coming and checking on that. Can you all set it up, do that? Yes, we all can be tech savvy, but you need someone expert. Because if it's going to take you four or five hours to do that, and you are the primary in your startup company, you probably want to be spending the time on the, your business development, you know, getting to clients, and so forth. Marketing, client strategy, somebody helping you, someone who's expert in marketing techniques to put a client strategy. Business development, finding out channels, 
different areas where you could get skill set and grow your company. Admin, paperwork and filing. That has been done, as, as we saw in previous slides, many, many while ago. So you could get somebody for probably pay them an hour and have them organize and file and do the paperwork coming to the company without having to have a full-time employee, especially if you're starting up, you probably can't afford a full-time employee doing some of the administration work. HR and legal sort of tend to be more of hand in hand. In some organizations, you'll probably have a, a, a contract or you outsource it to a legal company where they have an HR function. So if you have to draft contracts and proposals for employees or contractors to bring in people, they'll do that. They'll vet the vendors that they're going to work with you and so forth. You would not, as a startup, have the capacity to probably have a full-fledged legal department and lawyers. I mean, as is, even when it's part-time, these guys are expensive to afford, let alone if you have them full-time in-house. So last but not least, I want to leave you guys with an example of outsourcing. And so I know it's sort of late. This is literally the end of it. And that's your opportunity, one, to ask questions, and two, to reflect based on what we talked about. So I'll let you read it. We'll summarize it. Software provider had grown. So they were a handful. In three years, they have 300 clients. So they're not really that small with revenue $10 million. And they're looking to aggressively have more profitability, 20%. So what have they decided is to basically offshore their call center and outsource it to a vendor that their specialty is help desk services. So we've been talking about companies with help desk is one of the most famous ones to be outsourced or offshored. So what the company thought back to their strategy is allowing them to focus on their core skill. And what they deem their core skill is software development for the customer. So they don't want to field customer questions, but they want to focus on developing their great products. They want to assign help desk, you know, somebody's calling in and, and nagging them to some specialist away from them while they focus. So what they have done, part of doing their homework, is they used an RFP. An RFP stands for uh, request for proposal and after five months they selected a global vendor so here is the situation these guys they chose a company doesn't matter who they brought in the staff they trained the staff for four months they job shadowed as we were talking about right now and these staff returned back to train the other 25 or the remaining 25 so Let's go do the checks and balances. They have a strategy. They know what they want to do. Profitable 20%. Also, help desk out. And what do I want to do? Basically, I did my homework as a company. I brought in people. I trained them. And I sent those to train others. What else should they have considered or they have done? Yes. Service level agreement for the rest of you, SLA stands for service level agreement, i.e. guarantees. What else comes to mind? All right. What else? Come on. We took benefits, challenges, 
best practices, what they should be focusing on. All right, this is just for you to reflect, guys. SLA, definitely. And that's what these guys missed. So here's what happened. When the nearshore officially started, customer complaint increased. So they thought they're letting the help desk people in their nearshore deal with it, while they found themselves having probably a bigger problem. Language issues, too much static on the phone lines, problems were taking longer than normal. So actually, if, if you were the customer and you were expecting your problem was resolved in X amount of time, it's taking actually a lot longer. Learning curve for the vendor was taking a lot longer because now they're pressed with so many calls, they have little time to keep on training. So, I mean, the, re we, the reason we're talking about that, we kept talking about how you benefits, 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 but this is to show there are drawbacks and disadvantages when it's not done right. It needs to be done right. And actually, a lot of companies, they were at a period of time, they, especially with help desk was sensitive, they offshored it, they ended up bringing it back onshore. It's about customer, it's not about product. They think somebody picking up the phone and answering, going over boilerplate, that's, that's easy done. No, it's not. Company's reputation at a stake, obviously, so you can imagine that. With some of these companies that they offshored, what they have neglected. So, so the language issue, obviously, those who they trained, they haven't vetted well. Too much static on the phone line. So I talked about in one of the uh, examples when we were talking about uh, the logistics technology. So you really don't know what technology they're using and where are they in that part of the world and how good or is it voice over IP? Is it not clear? Is it interrupting? That is, a, I mean, when a call drops after you spend 10 minutes explaining your issue as a client and it just cuts off and you have to repeat it to another uh, agent, again, that, that agent's having a hard time understanding you and having a hard time replying the way you should. So that could definitely cause company reputation. Actually, a um, couple of companies, one of them even credit card company that they outsourced their help desk and they ended up bringing it back. So what would have worked? SLA for sure. Uh, timing them, because even onshore, when we run help desks, and when they run call center, they time their agents. They time them from the time they receive a call to the time of the resolution. Was the resolution first time or did they have to escalate it? How long did it take? So doubling in duration, obviously, they haven't done either training or if they've done training, they haven't shadowed them to monitor the job. So bringing somebody, bringing 15 people on shore and training them and going poof, poof, off you go, it's not good enough. Somebody should have been there or somebody should have been monitoring and job shadowing uh, these guys. And I leave you with sources of information in terms of, um, now, um, Chloe, these slides will be available, right, for these guys? Yeah, okay. So you, you guys can just check these out and uh, various articles on what worked, what didn't work, uh, even success stories from some companies. Uh, even non-success stories from other companies. So it's always good to see when it worked for someone, what did they do and what happened? And when it didn't work for someone, what was the recipes that didn't work for them? So some of just kind of in wrapping here, key takeaways. 
We had definitions to what it's outsourcing, benefits and challenges, the various models out there, and also what is being outsourced, what is not the best practices around outsourcing and why outsourcing failed, some of the challenges, how can it be leveraged, where are the benefits, and again, I left you with sort of the last piece, an example where outsourcing that didn't go well because that organization brought back the services. And with that, we come to general Q&A if you guys have any questions for me. Where it, uh, where it worked really well? Yeah. Well, the company where we, we outsourced, the time that I kept mentioning these examples, it worked very, very well. And reason being, actually, it was two things. It wasn't just let go because of let go. It was letting go. The people who were let go, they were so in on the details till the last day, it wasn't like a decision of cut them off. So in terms of people morale, the rest of the organization weren't scared. Those who were letting go, let go, they knew. Those who we selected to keep, they became more of the team leads. The organization, it wasn't come and train them. We had a bunch of the senior leadership, including my bosses, go there, stay for a while there, bring back the people, train them, fly. So there was initial investment up front. But again, in terms of for large company with that type of product development that we had, their ROI was there. So there was back and forth. It was never over the fence. It felt like we used to call them team, team three, depending like we had teams tier one, two. So when you say team, you're assuming them even part of you. So they were team. There was that partnership. It wasn't over the wall. It took a lot of, in the beginning, sort of ingraining them in the culture in terms of when we say yes, when we say no, in terms of timelines, collaboration, none of that vertical bosses, you can't operate that way because we don't operate that way. We expect you to be faster. So a lot of expectation setting and a lot of being ahead of the issue before the issue takes place. So it worked from that general sense of IT. We started with development and uh, then we followed by QA and then requirements. And what we kept in that company was the design and the architecture. And then obviously we did the user experience before releasing it to our clients. So to the client, it was seamless. But we had the help desk. We had the call center. And we had everything that has to do with the client interaction. Yes. Uh, not to outsource everything, actually prior to that. So the hype was everybody jumped on it, cheaper rates, cheaper rates. So and that's what I said, people went that way, then they came and then they figured out their balance. So in the early days of it, it was almost, if you're paying someone $100, you pay them $20. But that's no longer the case, actually. If you read the, some, some of these resources, even the offshore prices went up. So if you're paying 100 and now I'm paying 60, you really, you have to see really value, like your margins getting smaller, it better be better, a lot better. In terms of manufacturing, <clears throat> manufacturing still outsourced by and large, because there is a huge benefit in manufacturing, right? They get the raw material, 
I actually have friends uh, I went to school with. Their, her family is involved in manufacturing. And any designer jeans that we buy from the 300 to $800, there are jeans for $800, they're basically probably manufacturers for $10. And their actually place of manufacturing in that part of the world, they get the buttons and the logos of the probably half a dozen brand of those jeans and they put it on, but they do everything and just it costs probably $10 a jean. So you could imagine the margin for, for that company, cheaper labor, cheaper everything. Any other question? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, are, do you work in IT? Yeah. Have you been in part of, like, you, did you come later? Because I asked how many of you have been part of organization where they outsource, did your company outsource services? Yeah, I guess, like, I'm working as an Oh, you're working as an outsource person. So what's, what's the area that you're working with? Uh, so you're, you're actually developing code, right? All right, so, but who owns the requirements at the end of the day? The company itself, they're doing the requirement. You get, obviously you need to, as a software developer, you're in the middle, you need to get involved in a requirement piece and you need to get involved in a testing piece because you want to make sure they're, they're, they're testing correctly. So you will be bridge, but your niche, they got you to do the development, but I'm assuming based on that, the requirement stayed in-house, it's their people, and QA is in-house. Right? So that's their decision, and classically, that's what's, what's happening. Because programming, it's the area where, you remember, you could validate with requirement upfront, and there is somebody who's also checking the code for you to ensure even if things don't go well, I'm catching it from the front end and the back end to work well. Now, in some organizations, they have even outsourced QA, and it worked for them. It's all about, it's, it's not like what would be the best. What's traditional been probably development in IT, but others have outsourced. It's all about how they set it up and how they work the SLAs and what do they deem as valuable and where do they deem they're getting benefit ROI, whether the benefit cost reduction because they're paying less for that particular service or actually they're getting in, uh, improved performance. You're probably, uh, you're coding better than two coders in-house that they'll take them two days to do something and it takes you one day to do it. So even if they pay more, you're actually giving them more efficiency on the other end. Any other questions? Yes? How to do that? Well, depending on what you need. Like when I shared from my own experience, technology-wise, I did my website and back-end three times, 
since my company started. One of it is part of me being picky, other part I want to keep up with some stuff. So that was more of the front end. But back end, the first time I totally actually offshored it. I have never met the team, but back to doing your due diligence, it was, oh wow, They'll, he'll get it done in two weeks, and it's that cheap, I couldn't tell you how cheap. Now where the gotcha was, is their uptime on their lousy servers. <laughs> so my website was more down than up. I'm like, oh, that wasn't part of the game plan. Oh, we have some issues with this, some issues with that. I'm like, nope, I'm bringing it back. So I brought it back, and I used actually a bigger company where their red tapes, and it, I, I didn't even go through, they showed me the design, but it was gonna take them almost like, it's almost like a rocket science exercise for a small company. I'm like, forget it, now I know why people outsource. Last but not least, the final iteration actually, someone who's actually entrepreneur, just set up his company, very eager, very energetic. It was kind of referral word of mouth, and he's, he's, he's onshore, done a better job than the large company and then offshore, but that what worked for me. So you have to look at, for your type of business, what is it you're looking for? Do you need somebody to do your social media? You need to know somebody who uh, does your technology, someone who does the administration work. You have a lot of people and, and client and filing. So you need to figure out as a small startup, where do you get bang for your buck? And what are the areas that core, that's gonna be, I'm spending my time on that. But I don't mind doing that and that, but you know, I'm not gonna stretch myself for those other two functions. I need someone to, to come in and do it. Any other questions? Yes. Contractual uh, lawyers, I've, I've done subcontracting where I was given a proposal from a client, part of it my area of expertise, the other part I could have done it, but I actually, I, one is whoever I subtracted it, uh, subcontracted it to is someone I know, very professional, I know he, he, his reputation is, is just as good as my, his, he's gonna keep his reputation. So you gotta look for reputable people, two, as much as it's about reputation, yes, I know him. A lawyer drafted the contract, more of SLAs. Your piece, my piece. Here's what I'm expecting from you. Here's what you'd expect even help from me. Here is the line you don't, here's the line you do. Yes, you're gonna be at my client's site, but it's my name, my company's name. I'm subcontracting you. You're not selling business. You're not soliciting business. For that period of time, my lawyer drafted it and he signed on it. So you could protect yourself in, in, in various ways, right? And then you don't want to get just somebody, you know, from the internet. You really want to know people or just go through selection criteria to get the right uh, person. So in that case, would you tell the client you're subcontracting to somebody? Or would you just make sure you trust them if they're bound? Well, but but it's, it's, all a, it's all about like with larger companies, they, depending who's your client, right? With larger companies, they want to know all and every detail and they probably want to qualify your subcontractors. 
for smaller engagement, they really don't care as long as so. If, if the person comes in as, for the lack of a better word, as your resource, you subcontracted that resource, seamless to them. Similar when I use with large company, IBM using another company, it's going to be to my large company seamless as long as they do. It's, it's their face. So it might be that case in your case. And if they said, well, is that you or other company, depending on what are the red tapes that you've established with your subcontractors and with the, with the company? Did they hire you for you as a skill? Or did they hire you as a brand and they don't care who? Because you know, you're not going to be in. You need hands and feet and arm that works with you. So you need a team. When you're a large company, the team is always in-house. You could take them in and out. But when you're a small startup, you can't afford that. Based on the engagement, you're going to go and actually hire a team if you need a team, right? Yes, you had a question there. Mm -hmm. So, the, the company is outsourcing to another country, and if that country doesn't have a law that's not uh, really good for copyright or infringement, but still has a really good market, what do you do then? <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, personally, I don't engage, but that's personally. But. Um, in a smaller, uh, it's, it's tough, then you, you're, you'll be paying a premium to protect your intellectual property and copyright, because it's a good market, but that means they could steal your work, technically, and you can't even sue them, or, uh, I mean, it's a flip a coin if you want to do that, because, oh wow, I'm going to get a lot of business, but soon enough they're going to take your business away, and somebody will run with it. That's a risk you could take. Otherwise, there are international lawyers that they work across the world, right? It doesn't matter where, where they're at. Like, there are times where overseas I got opportunities that I turned down because all I say, yep, that's fine. That's, that's the lawyer you're going to work with, and these are the boundaries. And then they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> No, I'm not. Oh, can you just come in and you'll probably help our team and we'll have somebody shadow you? I'm like, no, that'll be part of the training. I don't mind that. You'll shadow me and I'll give you all you need to run it afterwards. I'm not going to have you be dependent on me because I'm in and out to teach you something, but you're not going to steal my intellectual property because it was more of, in, in my model, it was they wanted me as part of their team. They're going to bigger client. So long, long answer to short is, if you're willing to take the risk and flip a coin on it, you would. Otherwise, you have to protect yourself. Because the, then what's the point after if they have lots of businesses, but you're never going to see a business because somebody taking it? Yes. It doesn't have a good track record in success and growth? In general, uh, in ge well, I mean, uh, outsourcing when it started, and the reason smaller companies could leverage it, in my opinion, better than larger companies, because larger companies, you're tied by SLAs and lots of employees. Smaller companies are more nimble. 
And you, when you outsource, you don't go crazy outsourcing. By the virtue of small company, you almost everything is service-oriented. Your security will be service-oriented. Your technology, you're not going to run your technology and server, depending on what you have. Let's say you have this brilliant idea and <clears throat> you came up with, um, I mean, if we think of Uber, Uber is nothing but pure technology, amazing technology. Yes, and there is a vision behind it of literally on the middle if you think of Expedia and all these on the middleman providing you a platform to book tickets on the middleman providing, you know, there is a need in a society, figuring out the need, figuring out how to go about it. So I don't think the guy who came up with the idea, his forte is technology, obviously it would have been either outsourced or somebody would have contracted to build something like that. But again, back to this part of the world. There is intellectual property, there are lawyers, everybody knows their borders and, and, and boundaries. And even then, how many of you guys have seen the, uh, um, what is it, the, the Facebook, the, the movie, what was it called, the social, what the hell was it called, social network, right? Uh, I mean, it, it's amazing the, the story of how they went with mega big lawyers, they went around each other, like you could, you could do so much of that. There are, at the end of the day, either you have to, what I call it, do your due diligence and risk factors and figure out, do I go crazy outsource? Or let me get some of the services that I really need in terms of their non-core, not my intellectual property, and I keep the brain in the house. And then you could go from there. As a smaller company, you could afford doing that. Any other questions, guys? All right, you were quiet audience, but excellent questions at the end. Thank you. <laughs> All right, thanks guys.